is the Investment Intelligence Podcast by Allianz Global Investors, sharing knowledge about all things investing. Hello, everybody. I'm your host, JP Vicente, and you're listening to the Investment Intelligence Podcast. Our guest today is Sebastian Thomas, the lead portfolio manager of our global artificial intelligence strategy. And I've been looking forward to having Sebastian on the show because AI has become a truly pervasive technology that in our view does offer a lot of potential opportunities for investors worldwide. And by pervasive, I mean, it's everywhere and it's more than what is commonly perceived to be. Here's what I mean. A lot of folks, me included, might consider AI the thing of the voice assistants we've become so used to, especially during the pandemic. But there's much more to it, including applications in supply chain management, medicine, cybersecurity, finance, and many other areas. There's also a darker side to it, which involves potential behavior manipulation. And of course, how to make sense of it all when thinking about deploying AI in your portfolio. Well, Sebastian and I talked about all that and more in this episode of the podcast, including Sebastian's very analog cultural recommendation. So make sure to stick around for that too. And now, without any further ado, let's get right to it. Hi, Sebastian. Thanks for being here with us today. Before we get started, please tell us who you are and what you do here at Allianz Global Investors. Hi, JP. I'm Sebastian Thomas. I'm the lead portfolio manager of the Global Artificial Intelligence Strategy at Allianz in San Francisco. I've been at Allianz for 17 years, uh, managing portfolios that are focused on innovation markets. That's terrific, Sebastian. Thank you very much, and welcome to the podcast. It really is great to have you on the show to discuss artificial intelligence with us today. I am very much looking forward to our discussion, especially in light of the prominence of the topic in many investing quarters these days. At least on my end, it seems that everywhere you look, every video call one is in, someone is talking about some new or some latest development in artificial intelligence. I don't know, maybe it's because of the pandemic, uh, which has certainly deepened our relationship with like voice assistants, or maybe it's just our constant fascination about the notion of quote unquote thinking machines, which can not only interact with us, but also learn from us or from our behavior. Uh, But there's also a perhaps less talked about but equally important side of artificial intelligence, one that relates to regulation, to legal issues, geopolitical dominance, and dare I say, even potential behavior manipulation. So there's a lot to talk about on this topic. But to get us started, let me first ask you a more definitional question, Sebastian. What is artificial intelligence from an investment perspective? And what's your general vision for what AI will do for us in the future? Where do you think it can go? Well, artificial intelligence, the idea has been around for many years. Ever since the first computer was uh, designed, people envisioned sort of machines that could be in the service of humanity. Uh, We've been slowly working our way towards that vision for many years, but there have been sort of roadblocks in the way. What's happened more recently is some of those fundamental roadblocks have been 
surmounted through innovation. When we talk about artificial intelligence, we talk about machines that are able to understand, reason, learn, and act on uh, inputs. And so what we're looking for are companies that are either advancing these technologies or are able to deploy it to the benefit of their customers or ones that are able to leverage uh, these technologies to transform their industries. And so that's what we're looking for from an investment perspective. I guess one could, based on what you just said, I guess one could group areas where AI will will have an impact. So for example, you, you just mentioned you have companies producing and developing artificial intelligence, and then you have those who are, uh, which are rather deploying the technology to advance their products. So when I think of it that way, certain buzzwords come to mind, such as the Internet of Things and smart cities. So can you talk to me about those different groups and, and what do they mean from an investment perspective? Have they become, let's call them, investable themes in and of themselves? Yeah, I mean, when people talk about IoT, um, I think it refers to sort of the change that's happened with regard to computing. Traditionally, when you talk about computing, people think of it as sort of a desktop computer. But what you've seen is a proliferation of form factors in which computing is delivered. It can be in the form of a vehicle that has intelligence embedded in it. It can be in your smartwatch. It can be in fitness trackers or even trackers that are placed on livestock to be able to manage herd health. And so the fact that computing capabilities are being put into all these different form factors to collect inputs about the environment and relay that back to people to analyze. That's sort of, I think, what IoT refers to. When they talk about smart cities, they're talking about ways for technology to be utilized in a way that alleviates some of the challenges that are faced by cities as they grow. I mean, as cities grow vertical, and you have more and more buildings going up, the streets are not getting any wider. And so you end up with issues of congestion and other uh, issues. And so the question is, are there ways that technology can be deployed to make city life much more pleasant, have traffic flow more freely, and have services much more accessible? And are there ways to like mitigate and reduce crime? And so these are um, sort of big areas that AI is also playing a role, but they in themselves have become sort of, you know, markets unto themselves. And so they have become investable themes. That's interesting. Um, do you have enough like companies within those sectors to create, uh, um, let's say, a portfolio or to create an investable opportunity for for those uh, who are listening and thinking about it? Yeah, I mean, in terms of areas of IoT and, and smart city, there are a number of companies that are working on initiatives. They're not just the new innovative startups that you know may be funded by venture capitalists that are private, but there are also the existing companies that have embraced innovation and are making investments in areas of AI or other forms of automation to bring about this change. Let me follow up on, on, on those points and ask you whether you think that as a result of that, one can make the case that AI lends itself better to certain sectors than others. Is that a fact? And, and if so, which sectors are ahead of the AI curve and which ones are lagging behind? AI is fundamentally about dealing with large volumes of data and inferring patterns from that data. 
and to be able to provide useful insights from that data. And so some industries are better positioned to be able to do that. For example, you know, the information and communications sector is one that has embraced AI uh, technologies for some time. Manufacturing uh, has had uh, embraced in terms of factory automation. Financial services uh, has embraced you know, algorithms for many years and has uh, used it to develop new products and services to better serve customers. And so industries that have lots of data are ones that tend to lend themselves to that. But from an adoption perspective, it actually, there's a very cultural aspect to it. And so it depends on the leadership of each organization to, to shepherd it forward. Sebastian, when I I want to go back perhaps a little bit on uh, because listening to you, I keep thinking about this distinction between let's call it deploying AI and producing AI. How much of the AI deployment in products is being sort of created or originated by particular companies themselves and how much of it is let's call it let's call it quote unquote off the shelf that one can go out and buy a product and just incorporate it into into one's you know production line there are foundational technologies that are built by you know some of the big platform companies that provide sort of a a toolkit for companies to bring their own data and their own uh, whether it's customer relations or supply chain information, and to leverage uh, the algorithms to get insights off of that data. And so uh, some of it is off the shelf in the form of being able to leverage the such as natural language processing engines that are widely available in the market. or And in other cases, um, it's companies leveraging their own data to create completely new insights that are specific to the customers that they serve. Mm-hmm. When, when we talk about AI, you know, most people, myself included, you know, think about machines becoming more like, well, human beings, right? Uh, but the fact of the matter is that AI is as much about people as it is about machines. Isn't that right, Sebastian? So talk to me about the relationship between artificial intelligence and people intelligence. And what does that mean to investors? One of the really profound ways that AI can have an impact on people's lives is to sort of take the robot out of themselves. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, I give the example of like, you know, someone who's a doctor. Um, I know many people who went into medicine and they didn't go into medicine to transcribe charts or, you know, at the end of the day, go go through all their medical records of all the patients that they saw. And so, you know, where AI can play a role there is that they can remove uh, all the sort of mundane work that the doctor you know, wasn't, didn't go to medical school for and Mm -hmm. give them back sort of, you know, the space to be able to better engage with patients. And so, you know, that's a way of where AI actually helps you become more human. And I think, let me follow up on this point, which is the difference between data and and insight. Uh, So, we collect so much data or we receive so much data, you know, we buy so much data, we have access to so much data. 
But then transforming that into insight is something that requires perhaps uh, the human brain to work or, or is it possible to actually do that with AI as well? Um, I mean, so insight is something that's very, I would say, more uniquely human <laughs> than, mm-hmm. than um, AI is capable of replicating right now. AI is fundamentally about pattern recognition and and some of those patterns may not make a whole lot of sense. So it's really important that when the machines do provide you sort of some sort of, you know, pattern that it is, you know, thoughtfully considered and that, that there is a foundational basis that you can reason to where that makes sense. Otherwise, you know, you could end up following something that overfits the data. And so that's something that, you know, people who are doing research in AI um, you know, are running into constantly when dealing with large volumes of data. Yeah, let me just change the course of the conversation a little bit, because I wanted to talk to you about business models and artificial intelligence. So without naming names, we know that some giant technology companies, let's put it that way, have deployed artificial intelligence to tremendous economic success, right? Creating what some have called a quote-unquote clickbait economy. In other words, right, so monetizing anything that generates clicks, regardless of the actual, let's call it truth or scientific value that is attached to it. So as some parts of society, even regulators, start taking a closer look at these models, this could create obviously potential disruptions. So as an investor and a portfolio manager, talk to me about your point of view on this and what kind of impact potential higher regulation could have on the deployment of artificial intelligence. I mean, with regard to regulation, I think it's a very important dialogue uh, that needs to be happening uh, with the development of any market, one is important as artificial intelligence, certainly, um, because companies can find themselves in situations that can be difficult for them to resolve on their own that requires input from, you know, the public and may require, you know, regulation to help solve, to put in the right foundation. Um, for example, um, you know, the entire notion of fake news um, and the propagation of things like that across social networks. Mm-hmm. Um, it is difficult for a social network to be able to police this themselves because they have to make a judgment as to whether certain content is the truthfulness of it or not. And there may be gray areas. And uh, if they choose to uh, abdicate their responsibility in that, you can re- result in, you know, people creating algorithms that populate the the social network with erroneous and misleading news all day long. And so some of these social networks are actually asking for regulation to make those who propagate such information legally responsible uh, for the damage that they do. And so, mm-hmm. you know, their regulation can serve a purpose in helping resolve a situation for a social network. But these type of inquiries by the regulators is important to ensure that companies and society is moving on a foundation that serves the greater good rather than one that may result in a 
corner condition that where you have a monopoly that only serves itself. That that makes sense. Uh, when I look at this, and without getting like too philosophical here, but I think of it as almost a, an epistemic crisis, right? This this notion that how do we filter information, and uh, for this particular epistemic crisis, it feels like AI always plays the role of the villain. Uh, and uh, I was wondering if AI could actually, we could reverse that and, and AI could indeed help, you know, uh, solve the problem. Talk to me a little bit about it. I mean, have you heard of companies sort of trying to solve this problem using the, the very technology that is vilified at some, um, in some quarters? Yeah, I mean, in this case, the social networks um, that I referred to have made progress in building algorithms to be able to identify um, uh, news or comments that may not be truthful in nature and have provided automatic flagging of that content so that uh, users are made aware that there's almost like a warning label on the content saying this mm -hmm. may be from a misleading source. Uh, they have algorithms that look at, well, how did this piece of content rise uh, within our network? Who, which are the uh, source, you know, sites that are recommending it. And based on that, they try to build sort of reputation scores and, uh, make sure that, uh, you know, they're trying to surface more reputable content that may have been fact-checked. And so there, the AI plays a role in trying to provide sort of community safety. When you're looking at what's going on in the regulatory environment, how are you thinking about it when you incorporate that into your evaluate, like your, how, how the way you you know, evaluate the company uh, or a set of companies, you know, and how do you think that investors should look at? Is there is there a way to measure the potential impact of a new regulatory environment on, you know, the on the sector in general and on particular industries within the sector in particular? Um, I mean, the regulatory frameworks are still very early and fluid and People are trying, some of it has de dealing with sort of the handling of data initially to mm -hmm. make sure that people's private data remains, you know, private, things like HIPAA uh, in the healthcare industry. Um, and, you know, it, within um, uh, online, uh, when you're viewing content, things related to how they track you online in terms of cookies and the type of ads that they've, that are being placed. So to ensure that, um, uh, people know how they're being tracked and what data is being collected. Uh, these are important first steps, but there's a lot more work to be done um, as companies continue to roll out, uh, you know, new technologies, things like facial recognition and other types of um, tools that may have some inherent biases in them mm -hmm. uh, have to be evaluated and monitored because it could lead to negative social outcomes. I have to assume also that the issue of liability is front and center on the minds, uh, you know, of some CEOs, and certainly a key consideration, perhaps even a potential source of concern in some companies. No, uh, that's absolutely the case. For example, if you had this situation where you have a an intelligent medical X-ray machine that is able to diagnose, let's say, fractures uh, with a higher 
degree of precision and accuracy than, you know, a radiologist and you deploy it and it, what happens when it makes an error? Who's who's liable? Is it the manufacturer of the machine or is it the the let's say that company bought uh, a huge data set of medical records to train the machine against? Is it the data provider? Um, and so you know, we go from an environment where it's clear who could be potentially liable and we have malpractice insurance in place uh, to protect some of those people. But what happens when that intelligence starts getting embedded in these machines? Who's liable for mistakes? That's, mm-hmm. that's an open question. What has, uh, you know, kind of struck you uh, recently or perhaps even not so recently as the most innovative way to deploy artificial intelligence. What's what's your take in terms of innovation today in terms of deployment of this technology? The place that sort of maybe surprised me at how much progress people are making in a relatively short period of time has been in the area of sort of self-driving vehicles or enhanced driver assistance areas. Mm-hmm. Because there's uh, tremendous progress going on there at a faster pace than I would have expected. And that has implications and for the future in ways that, you know, what does that mean in terms of the number of accidents that happen with those vehicles? If you reduce it by, let's say, one-tenth, what does that imply for insurance for those, you know, people who use those vehicles? Mm-hmm. And um, there are other, you know, potential societal impacts that could happen if you do have a robust self-driving car solution. That's fascinating. But the fact of the matter is that technological innovation alone doesn't guarantee success either. So just because we're talking AI doesn't mean that the basic metrics of financial analysis should be ignored, right? So talk to me about what metrics you look at when you're assessing the sector. In this type of environment of change, doing financial analysis is even more critical. Uh, than ever, because you want to see which companies are not only gaining market share, but able to translate that into something um, that is tangible to shareholders, which is uh, increasing profits and uh, creation of shareholder value. And so, um, so we do what we look at is we look at the companies in the industry. We look at which ones are gaining market share, and then we look at within the market share that they're gaining, how how are they translating that into profit growth? Uh, and what share of the overall industry profits are they gathering? So what do you think the role of AI in asset management in general is? Uh, is, is that something that is helping you uh, as well when you're thinking about evaluating these firms? Where AI can play a role is dealing with the huge volumes of data and trying to, you know, parse through that data quickly and to help you uh, get at the data that will help you make the the insights. AI can't be in the room doing the company interviews or the company meetings. They can't understand necessarily the full meaning of what's being said or the context. Um, And looking at financial statements, um, you know, there are elements that they can help with, you know, calling down the information to be able to make quicker decisions. But at the end of the day, um, there is a human insight that's required to to make, you know, the ultimate judgment. So there's a role, but 
I think using AI to, you know, sort of have an automatic decision-making um, can lead to some of the overfitting uh, issues that we referred to earlier. Mm-hmm. Let me ask you specifically about sustainability and ESG investing, which is which are topics that have gained a lot of traction among investors recently. Um, what role, if any, does AI play in this arena? Can it can you help companies become more sustainable, or conversely, can it help investors better assess you know the um, ESG factors? I mean, there are many ways in which um, AI can both help companies and also help with monitoring um, on the ESG front. I mean, you know, in the case of social networks, there were issues with regard to the social element of it because of the propensity for hate speech to appear and um, other types of content that, um, you know, had negative social impact. And so uh, their AI has been deployed in ways to to reduce that content from ever showing up on those networks. Um, from a monitoring perspective, you know, it's a daunting task for, you know, any analyst who's evaluating ESG considerations to pour through all the filings of, um, you know, public companies to uh, find sort of, you know, any sort of issues. And here, you know, we've seen some companies utilize natural language processing as a way to sort of flag, uh, quickly flag considerations in some of the public filings. Mm-hmm. And so it can, can be helpful in uh, calling through those large volumes and, and identifying uh, companies that you may want to engage with uh, where risk factors are cited. Sebastian, there's always this concept also that folks are, you know, sort of talking about in terms of the lines being blurred. What what is truly a technology company? What is truly an auto making company? What's truly an AI company? So as these lines get more and more blurred, um, how should investors look at it in terms of uh, understanding the sector and you know considering allocating to the sector? Yeah, I mean, the lines are getting blurred, and that is also something what's really exciting is that it increases sort of the opportunity set. But with regard to sort of that specific example of like car or technology or AI company, what we're looking for are companies that are making foundational investments in AI and using AI to differentiate their products in a way that allows them to gain market share and increase profitability and deliver greater shareholder value. Um, And it's not just specific to like, you know, that particular example of car company, it's across industries is companies that are able to, you know, leverage data, use AI, differentiate their products and drive market share profitably. I wanted to get your take uh, on geopolitics and I guess the geopolitics of artificial intelligence. So currently, it seems that the United States and China have a leading edge on the field of AI. And we also know that maintaining this edge or perhaps even expanding it has been a source of much contention between the two leading powers. So what's your take on the U.S. versus China discussion when it comes to artificial intelligence? The challenge um, for anything in terms of this, you know, innovation cycle is, in my view, is 
sort of the legal frameworks is that um, in the U.S., uh, you know, there are sort of legal frameworks in place to be able to evaluate whether something, you know, there's constant um, challenges to what companies are doing and making ensuring the companies build on a a well considered foundation. Um, and I think that's an that's an important role in building a uh, building any company. Um, it's unclear, you know, in terms of some other countries, you know, how the legal frameworks are going to work out. I mean, will the citizens be happy if you create a surveillance state? And is that a sustainable, you know, situation? So I think to me, the, one of the big questions remains, you know, are each of these countries building their industries on, on solid enough foundations, uh, legal foundations? Uh, how does AI relate to cybersecurity, if at all? Uh, I mean, AI is like the arms merchant in cybersecurity. <laughs> it is the creator of, you know, people leveraging AI have come up with, you know, pretty sizable uh, attacks and discovered new attack vectors, leveraging AI. And at the same time, AI is used to protect uh, companies, various, you know, uh, attack surfaces uh, against threats and so um, it's they actually play on both sides uh, it plays on both sides this is an important area of investment because as long as you know, you bring more value online such as people's financial records or anything like that it's the old adage of why do people rob banks it's because that's where the money's at mm-hmm. um, and you know as more economic value is brought onto the the internet, the the threats get larger, and the need to protect against those threats equally. So, Sebastian, we're also still very much living under the shadow, right, of the COVID nineteen pandemic. Talk to me about the impact that COVID has had on artificial intelligence. Has it sped up its use as it has done with other areas of technology? This is a horrible situation that's happened in the world. But, you know, because of the tools that have been made available through the developments of AI, you've had the rapid sequencing of the of the, the virus and for companies to be able to develop uh, vaccines in a remarkably short period of time. Vaccines used to take nine to 10 years. And so because of the ability to sequence the virus, uh, we've been able to come up with therapies um, you know, in record time. And so, um, you know, I think the, there are many ways in which the, the COVID situation has sort of highlighted the value of AI. One is on, you know, as the way that I sort of described, and the other is helping businesses adapt quickly uh, to the changes that have been brought about by the virus. More uh, digital transformation projects have moved forward this year because of it. Uh, Companies trying to leverage AI to better engage their customers and better serve them, even in an environment where that servicing has happened at a distance. And so um, it has accelerated uh, the pace of AI development and and um, adoption. That's great, Sebastian. I, I really enjoyed this conversation. Thank you so much for coming to the show 
and sharing your views with us. Uh, but before I let you go, I, I would like to get your cultural recommendation. It's a tradition that we have here on the show now. So uh, we try to end it with, uh, you know, something that our guests or guests have been doing during the pandemic uh, while, you know, they're not looking at specific areas, in your case, looking at markets and looking at the artificial intelligence sector. I mean, uh, spending time with family and, you know, one of the things that we've been doing is things like having game nights. Um, mm -hmm. And so... Just board having, game nights? Yeah, board games. Nice. <laughs> um, and playing, you know, uh, other, some card games as well. And so just having that time to sit and just, you know, uh, play a game together and listen to some music. Um, it's been it's been very nice. I mean, we didn't get as much of an opportunity to do that um, when you know, the world was in a much more normal state because everything, you know, we're always running from one place to another. Uh, that makes sense. And, and I, I completely uh, uh, empathize with that, you know, just because we have the same situation, you know, and board games is a, is a big thing here, you know, like uh, chess also is, is a big thing yeah. that we, we try to play. And, and that it's interesting. Uh, we didn't even plan this, <laughs> but it, it slips right into my recommendation because my cultural recommendation today is a limited series that's available on one of the main streamlining platform or streaming platforms rather uh, called the queen's gambit and it's a fictional story that's based on a book of the same name about this young woman who's sent to an orphanage uh, when she was about nine years old and she develops this uncanny knack for chess and then the series that has about seven episodes all in it basically tells her life story and as she grows up and becomes a real force in, in the world of chess. It's a um, story is not short of twists and turns and the characters are, are really well developed, are really well written, beautifully acted. So it's a lot of fun, especially if you if you like chess. And, and with that, I'd like to thank you again, Sebastian, for spending time with us today. And as always, thank you all so very much for listening. Stay safe, everybody. Uh, thank you, JP. And thank you, everyone. Please stay safe and take care. Thank you very much for listening. A quick reminder that you can subscribe to the Investment Intelligence Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. And if you enjoyed this episode, please rate us on your preferred podcast platform. It really makes a difference. Once again, thanks for listening. This podcast was recorded on December 2nd, 2020. Investing involves risk. The value of an investment and the income from it will fluctuate, and investors may not get back the principal invested. Past performance is not indicative of future performance. This is a marketing communication. It is for informational purposes only. The information contained in this recording does not constitute investment advice or a recommendation to buy, sell, or hold any security and shall not be deemed an offer to sell or a solicitation of an offer to buy any security. The views and opinions expressed herein, which are subject to change without notice, are those of the issuer or its affiliated companies at the time of publication. Certain data referenced are derived from various sources believed to be reliable, but the accuracy or completeness of the data is not guaranteed and no liability is assumed for any direct or consequential losses arising from their use. The duplication, publication, extraction, or transmission of the contents, irrespective of the form, is not permitted. This recording has not been reviewed by any regulatory authorities. In mainland China, it is used only as supporting material to the offshore investment products offered by commercial banks under the Qualified Domestic Institutional Investor Scheme pursuant to applicable rules and regulations. 
This recording is being distributed by Allianz Global Investors and its affiliates. For a complete list of affiliated entities, please visit AllianzGI.com.